Well, one morning, not long ago, just like every morning that I wake up, um, I went in search of coffee. Uh, I am just not myself before my first or even second cup of coffee. So on this morning, I went in search of coffee, and I went down to Berry Hill to Sam and Zoe's, one of my favorite coffee shops. If you haven't been there, uh, go there right after church because they've got great coffee. And if you know Sam and Zoe's, you know that they have a drive-through window where, you know, you don't even have to leave the comfort of your own car. You can just pick up your coffee from the driver's seat. So I was at the drive-through window, um, and I was placing my order, and I was making my payment, and I was waiting for my coffee. And the barista there at the window, uh, and you know, he's kind of elevated. He's, you know, up in the window a little bit. He glanced into my car and he saw something and he made a comment about it. He looked at my dashboard and on my dashboard, I keep a little note. This note is from my son. It's just a, a little quarter sheet of paper and he wrote it when he was maybe four or five years old. So it's in that little uh, adorable, you know, little kid handwriting. And it says, I love you, dad. And so I kept that note and I put it on my dashboard so that I could see it and so that I could remain ignorant of the fact that I'm speeding. <laughs> and the barista saw this and he said, hey, I like your note. And when he said this, my ears perked up and I said, oh, well, thank you. And that kind of began this conversation. I said, are you a dad? Do you have kids? And he said, well, as a matter of fact, I just became a father a couple of weeks ago. And when he said that, my face lit up. It was like I didn't need the coffee anymore because I love talking to parents and I especially love talking to new parents. And so when he said this, my face just kind of lit up and I asked him, I said, well, what did you name your daughter? And he said, we named her Poem. Poem. And when he said this, my face just lit up all the more because, I mean, what an incredible, unique, special, strong, beautiful, and theological name. And you're going to find out why it's theological in just a minute. But the name is Poem, P-O-E-M. Uh, now, pretty soon I heard a honk from the car behind me, and there's kind of a line of cars behind me, but I couldn't help myself. I put the car in park, and I stopped, and I had to have a deep theological conversation with this barista. He didn't know what he was, you know, uh, getting himself into. Um, because when I heard the name of his newborn daughter, um, my mind went straight to this passage that's before us today from Ephesians chapter 2. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. This is not by works, so that no one can boast. For you are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, prepared in advance for us to do. So friends, as you know, uh, the Bible wasn't written in English. Uh, it was written in two primary languages, um, Old Testament Hebrew and in the New Testament Koine Greek, and then it was translated into all the other languages of the world. Now, if we go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, and we go back to the original Greek, we see that it says, we are God's poema. 
poiema. And then the Bible was translated into Latin, into the Vulgate, uh, and it became, we are God's poema. Poema. And of course, that is where we get our English word, poem. And so we can literally say, we are God's poem. In the Greek, the word poem translates to handiwork or workmanship, Um, but that doesn't really give us the full sense of the meaning. So to tease it out, let me just say we are God's unique and special creations. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, We are knit and stitched together in our mother's wombs. Uh, Now, This is not the sense of, you know, um, a manufacturing process, all right, or an industrialist. Um, It's not the case that we are like widgets coming off the assembly line and we're uh, coming off the conveyor belt and we drop into a box and the box is sealed up and we ship it off to Jeff Bezos or anywhere around the world. No, no, it's not like that because they didn't have that back in uh, the time of the Bible when it was written. the sense is this, its sense is that we are something created by an artist. So don't think of an industrialist or a manufacturing process. Think of Geppetto and Pinocchio, how Geppetto made Pinocchio by hand, with time, with such loving care and intelligent design, um, uh, with such um, just care and sensitivity in the process. And Pinocchio was like no other doll or puppet before. And there was no other Pinocchio just like him after. We are unique creatures, the work of God's hands. We are God's artwork. Friends, really and truly, you, you are God's masterpiece. You're a masterpiece. And so when that barista holds his little daughter in his arms, just like, you know, when I look at my daughter, she is uh, just uh, incredibly, outrageously beautiful. And sometimes I just have to just stare and gaze at her. When When that barista was looking at his daughter poem, he can literally say, oh, you are a masterpiece. You're a work of art. Last night, my friends, uh, my wife and I were having a little talk, and we were just saying how, um, you know, it can be um, really easy when you um, are married and with someone to just kind of neglect giving them um, the compliments and the thanks and the praise and the adoration that they really deserve. Um, And I see a lot of couples out in the bridge today, so um, let's try something. Um, If you're a a part of a couple, if you um, are married, I want you to turn to your spouse and repeat after me. And even if you're not coupled, I don't want to leave you out. Just talk to the person next to you. Even if they are a complete stranger, even if you've never met them, I want you to turn to them and repeat after me. Uh, First, we'll go uh, from the men to the women. Men, repeat after me. Say, honey, you are a work of art. Didn't that feel good? Isn't that great? Okay. And now women, now I can't leave you out. So women, turn to your husband, turn to the men, um, and repeat after me. Say, honey, you sure are a piece of work. (laughs) 
all right? Isn't that so true? That's so true. Uh, it's true in my home, at least. Um, friends, I believe that God has a message for us today, and that message is this. God created every person, every man and woman, with wonderful gifts and talents, abilities, qualities, and personalities. God hard, hardwired these things into us when he created us, and we are called to be good stewards of all the gifts that God has given to us. God made each person completely and utterly unique. Uh, when I think of poem, that little newborn baby, uh, when I think about her, I mean, she has God-given gifts that are just hardwired into her, that we'll see as uh, she grows and, and flourishes as a human being. Beyond the God-given gifts, she's going to learn things. She's going to have acquired skills that she gains throughout life, through school, going to camp, learning from her grandparents, whatever it may be. Beyond the God-given gifts and the acquired skills, she has this innate temperament, this innate personality. And parents, you know this, I mean, when your children arrive, they have their own personalities and their own wills that, that you just see um, flourish and blossom over time. Speaking of over time, as they go throughout their lives, they're going to have experiences, good and bad and neutral, all sorts of experiences that will shape who they are as people. Speaking of people, poem and all the other people that populate the earth, she is going to have access to people and places that are unique and special. She will know people and she will go to places that I will never go, that I will never have access to. But Poem, as she grows up, will have access to these people and places that I never will. All of these things together and more make her so special, one of a kind. God graces every individual with gifts, and God does this for three reasons, at least, at least three reasons. First, these gifts are meant for our joy. God gave us gifts for the joy of the individual. In the summer of 1924, the Olympic Games were held in Paris, France. And representing the country of Scotland was a young athlete named Eric Little. Uh, maybe you've read books about him or seen movies about him. Maybe you know his story. From childhood, Eric Little demonstrated a natural aptitude for sport. He was really, really good at rugby and at cricket, but he was best of all at track and field. In fact, he was the fastest runner in Scotland. He went to Paris in 1924 to represent his country in track and field, and he became not just the fastest runner in Scotland, he became the fastest runner in the world. He earned an Olympic gold medal in the 400-meter race. Eric Little was a strong athlete, but he was an even stronger Christian. He was a man of deep Christian faith. And had you asked Eric Little, he would say that his athleticism came not from himself, but from God. Even though he worked hard and he practiced and he had this discipline, he would say all of this came from God, the gift and the opportunity. 
In his most famous quote, Eric Little says, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel God's pleasure. Now, how many of you feel pleasure when you run? <laughs> how many of you just feel like throwing up? <laughs> like me, all right? See, we're all made differently. When Eric Little ran, he felt pleasure. He felt satisfaction. He felt this incredible joy because when he ran, he felt like he was doing what God created him to do. And indeed, he was. God gave Eric Little a gift, and God gave Eric Little that gift for his joy so that he could feel satisfaction and pleasure. God made me fast, and when I run, I feel God's pleasure. Friends, God graces every person with gifts for the joy of that person, but that's not all. God graces every person with gifts also for the good of the world, for the benefit of society. In 1833, in Stockholm, Sweden, a baby was born, and that baby's name was Alfred. As Alfred grew from a boy to a man, it became clear that Alfred had this incredible intellect. He was incredibly intelligent, industrious and inventive. He just had this mind like no one else around him. In fact, Alfred was so intelligent, industrious, and inventive that he became famous for his work with nitroglycerin. Now, some of you know that nitroglycerin is an extremely volatile substance. It explodes easily. It blows up. It has this enormous power to destroy and to wreak havoc but Alfred used his God-given intellect to find a way to not only control nitroglycerin, to bring it under control, but also to package it, all right? So um, he used his intellect um, to control it, to make it less dangerous in a sense, um, and he also found a way to package it. Um, now, he didn't become a safety engineer, and he didn't... Um, you know, uh, go into um, construction and building, because you can build so many things um, with dynamite. It's used in mining. Um, it's uh, used to make bridges and to uh, cut out tunnels for roads and stuff like that. Uh, Alfred didn't do any of that. He found a way to use his intellect and to control nitroglycerin to create dynamite. He was the inventor of dynamite. And beyond that, he became not a safety engineer, and he didn't go into building and construction. He became an arms maker. He went into armaments. He began making weapons and selling those weapons all across the world. Um, he became a war profiteer, making money off of uh, death and violence and murder. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever seen the movie Iron Man, all right? There have been three Iron Men and then all the Avengers movies. If you go back to the first 30 minutes of the very first Iron Man movie, you see Tony Stark before he becomes Iron Man. Uh, that is who Alfred was. He was a war profiteer, making all this money, this incredible fortune off of um, explosives and arms and weapons. 
Well, not everyone was so impressed with Alfred and his keen intellect. Um, Alfred didn't die until 1896, but in 1888, a full eight years before his death, a French magazine published a fake obituary to mock him. Sarcastically, the obituary said that Alfred's great contribution to the world was finding a way to kill more people faster than ever before. The obituary pointed out that Alfred made more money from the murder of other human beings than anyone else in history. It called Alfred the merchant of death, and it said gleefully in this obituary, the merchant of death is dead himself. Now, when Alfred got that French magazine and he read that fake sarcastic obituary about himself and felt its sting, it affected him he suddenly realized that God had honored him with this gift of a keen intellect, but that he had used that gift for perhaps a dishonorable purpose. Well, in 1896, Alfred really did pass away. And in his last will and testament, he left explicit instructions about what to do with his vast fortune. His enormous fortune wasn't to be left solely to his family, by surprise, instead, it was to be used to establish annual prizes, annual prizes for those who made positive contributions to the world. Annual prizes were to be given to those who conferred some benefit on their human brother and sister. These annual prizes were to be given to those who made great achievements in fields like physics and chemistry and literature and medicine, and most of all, Alfred left explicit instructions in his will for a prize to be awarded to the person who, quote, renders the greatest service to the cause of international fraternity in the suppression or reduction of standing armies or in the establishment or furtherance of peace. Alfred was Alfred Nobel, and he created the Nobel Prizes, specifically the Nobel Peace Prize. Friends, God graces every person with gifts for the joy of the individual, for their pleasure, and God graces every person with gifts for the good of the world, for the benefit of society, for further justice and peace. But that's not all, my friends. He also gives us gifts for a third reason. God graces every person with gifts for his glory, for God's glory. In 1685, in Eisenach, Germany, Johann Sebastian Bach was born. He was the youngest child in a family full of musicians, and so small wonder that at an early age, he not only demonstrated a tremendous aptitude for music, but a tremendous love for music, too. Uh, when it came to music, he simply had a God-given gift, to be sure, and we recognize him today as one of the greatest composers in history. He's known not just for the sheer volume of music that he wrote, but for um, that music's intellectual depth and artistic beauty. Whenever Bach wrote a piece of music, he would initial the bottom of the page. But the initials that he wrote at the bottom of the page were not JSB for Johann Sebastian Bach. No, at the 
bottom of each page of music, he would initial S-D-G. S-D-G. S-D-G stands for Soli Dei Gloria, which translates into to God alone be the glory. So when Bach wrote the Brandenburg Concertos, my favorite Bach piece, uh, he signed it not JSB, Johann Sebastian Bach, he signed it SDG, to God alone be the glory, soli dei gloria. Uh, friends, why did Bach do such a curious thing? Uh, why did he dedicate every piece of music that he wrote to God? Why did he write to God alone be the glory when he so easily could have written to Bach alone be the glory with his precocious talent? Well, my theory is this. Bach understood that his God-given gift was to be used not to glorify Bach, but to glorify God. Bach wanted his remarkable talent not to point to himself, but to point to the one from whom the talent originally came. With the few short days he had on this side of the grave, he wanted his life to be about something bigger than himself, soli dei gloria, to God alone be the glory. Sisters and brothers in Christ, allow me to close today by saying this. Just like Eric Little, you have God-given gifts. What brings you joy? When do you feel God's pleasure? When do you get a sense of fulfillment? What gets your creativity and your blood pumping? About what are you most passionate? Friends, just like Alfred Nobel, you have God-given gifts. Let me ask, are you using these gifts for the good of the self or the good of the world? Are you using these gifts for your own profit and benefit or for the profit and benefit of all humankind? If the newspaper wrote an obituary about you, what would it say? Oh, he was a, a nice man. He did well for himself and for his family. Or would it say, he was a good man, a great man, who is concerned not just about himself or his own family, but about others and other people's families too, about the community, about the city and the state and the world. He was, he was concerned about all human society. He was concerned about justice. Um, friends, just like Johann Sebastian Bach, you have God-given gifts. And are you using these gifts for the glory of God? If your life was a song and you the songwriter, if your life was a musical composition and you the composer, what would the inscription say? To me be the glory or to God alone be the glory? Sisters and brothers, you are God's handiwork. These unique and beautiful and special creations. You are works of art. You are a masterpiece in God's eyes. God created every single one of us, and every single one of us has God-given gifts. These gifts are meant for three things, our joy, the world's good, and God's 
glory. Don't rob yourself of the joy and delight that God wants you to have. Don't rob the world of the benefit that would come from the exercise of your gifts. Don't rob God of the glory that he so richly deserves. You know, the beautiful thing is that you don't have to be Eric Little or Alfred Nobel or Johann Sebastian Bach. You only have to be yourself. You just have to be the person that God created you to be. And you have to be a proper steward of all that God has given you. That is our call as Christians and as a church. May it be so in the name of, the, in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen.